you hear the beat drop in? Did you did you feel it? Oh, wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we are so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks, using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Fear not. We'll help out the only way we know how by being in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness. DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Brooklinen and Ritual. They bring the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games, and there are many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who comes up as spam risk on my phone, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, did it? I have, yeah, I was playing with a new number today, and I called a few friends, and I got to hear also my wife's, like, Hello, like, um, and because now you pretty much only answer if it's someone's, you know, like you see it's oh, this is Jeff, I'll answer. Uh, but it's like we all have those certain numbers we'll answer anyway. It's like, well, I applied for this gig, or I'm waiting to hear back from this Girl Scout thing, I'll answer it. So I called my my wife with the new. She was like, hello, and then I called our friend Jordan, and he was like, hello, and I was like, ooh, I love hearing your mystery caller. Who's this answer voice? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's an area code that seems like I might know somebody, but why isn't this number coming up? Anyway, um, Christian, well, what a week. We got tons to talk about this week. We got video oh, games galore. I do uh, want to say, though, right now, the price of DLC has gone up. It's from zero to more than zero? It's twice as expensive as it was before. Um, mm, as yeah. of right now, this minute, just know that press release we did you know we're at we've been at zero for a long time but we are going to 2x zero so prepare hold on to your shorts ladies and gentlemen um hey you know what we're gonna retract that we 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 don't need to raise the price look at that you needed to wait until the end of the episode based on your feedback ladies and gentlemen (laughs) we're not raising oh we'll get to all that news in a second oh we got you know the first sort of big video game release of 2021 i think the first big triple a release to talk about we got so much to talk about and we have an awesome guest to do it with you know the dlc always stands for your downloadable kanada and your downloadable christian but this week i am so excited because dlc stands for director of listenable channels because we have audio director at naughty dog our friend who was last with us by the way in 2015 in july of 2015 so it's been a minute since we talked to him our buddy Rob Kreckle is back with us. Hey, Rob. Hey, friends. How's it going? It's good to be back. It's been way, way, way too long. Yes. Uh, thank you for the the awesome intro, as always, Jeff. Absolutely. I have fun email threads about some of those reaching out uh, with other folks that we all know also. And then mm-hmm. like, hey, and then them giving me a hard time recently, Rob. And I was like, well, to be fair, last time I asked you, other friend, it took you a year to reply. So. <laughs> Rob, congratulations, by the way, on uh, the reception for Last of Us Part Two. Congratulations, I think, most prestigiously for receiving the official DLC Game of the Year. 
It's pretty exciting, man. That's the one I was waiting for, and I was yeah. very happy to uh, most, to hear uh, most anticipated by the industry. Most, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, turmoil around the award because Christian and I often fight over it. Uh, this year, yeah. we were pretty much unanimous in our uh, love and uh, 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 actual awe of the product that you all created. And you uh, were, I don't know, your official title, lead lead audio. audio. Yeah, it's just, it's. It's basically the audio lead of the studio at that time. We just recently um, made it a director position, hence the the new title. So yeah. Basically, the same job we was doing, but yeah, it was uh, in charge of everything that came out of the speakers, essentially on on Last of Us Two. And certainly, the the audio was a huge part of that game. Uh, so much beautiful, so much horrific, so much uh, ambient world building audio uh, that you're responsible for. But I think. Um, the thing that I was most impressed by with the game over and above all of the incredible world building was the amount of accessibility that was built into that game. I mean, I think set a new high bar for what video games are capable of as far as accessibility, being able to play the game as a blind person, right? You, you actually, I think, am I correct in saying the first AAA game to offer that standard so- mode? I think I think other uh, blind there have been other games uh, specifically made for blind players like there's there's literally games that have been made smaller games, obviously, that um, that are completely without graphics and can only be played via sound. Mm-hmm. But in terms of AAA, I mean, if we're not the first, we're one of the first and one of the few that a, a blind player can not only completely play the game start to finish, but actually get the platinum. Um, yeah. Sightless Combat. Amazing. I want to call him out on uh, he he's on Twitter. He's a blind gamer and actually watched a, a lot of him play on his stream. And he was not one of our consultants. He was a, a player like legit blind player, played the game, got the platinum. And um, there's a huge amount of satisfaction for the whole team, not just the audio team to, to see somebody with, um, you know, a set of challenges that most of us can't even imagine still get so much joy and be able to complete and platinum our game is i mean it's just an awesome feeling it really really is really cool it's it's an extraordinary thing and a huge achievement i think for your team how did you approach that challenge i mean how do you even attempt to do something like that i i I wonder where that was motivated from and how you started the process to design audio around that kind of experience well, to be honest with you, when when uh, when the accessibility team first came to us, the design team uh, leads, I was like, absolutely not. We have no time to do this. This is too much work. <laughs> yeah. We have this giant game we need to make all this audio for. And um, it really wasn't until we had Brandon Cole come to the office and a couple of our other uh, accessibility consultants and make presentations and talk to us directly that it really left a, a really huge impression on me personally. And I, I got it at that point. I really understood like how much it means to not just have like the bare minimum of accessibility where you can kind of like hack it to play it, but to actually have right. intentional design to help and give options to eliminate barriers. And that's like the biggest thing is the way we approached it was to give as many options as possible so that the players, because not every player that, that is blind has the same type of blindness. Not every player that has any type of physical disability has the exact same type. And they don't all want like all options on. They may want to pick and choose the individual things that help them the most. And so that was that was the way we approached it. It was how many of the, we started with how much low-hanging fruit can we get for free, basically, by just changing like graphical settings or adding certain audio cues. But um, the more we developed, the, the really big thing that we needed to solve was the text-to-speech. 
because the the consoles themselves, uh, at least the, the PlayStation 4, doesn't offer it natively for in-game. And so we had to, through a very long process of, of research, find a tool that would generate all that text-to-speech data across all of our supported languages. So it's not just English, it's all wow. the localized languages as well. Yeah, wow. And that that alone was like such a huge, huge target for us. And um, there's a couple of programmers on our team, Jason Gregory and Jonathan Lanier, who kind of took it upon themselves to do the research, work on the tech, get it all going. And and that is like such a major component to the blind accessibility is like, not only does it help um, kind of navigate all the menus and story things, like it, there's just lots of like little things, like you can hit a button and check on your current status. So like how much health you had, right. what weapon are you holding? How many, how many bullets are in there? Like what is craftable? Um, there's all these little things that we take for granted as sighted players that the text-to-speech gives you that information when you need it. Um, and then there was the trick of how do we balance like text-to-speech with the the in-game dialogue, like what always takes priority. And there are right. certain times, if you if you choose to play with that mode on, where the story takes precedence and the, the text-to-speech is going to go away just so you can hear what the story is telling you. But you'll always have the option to replay whatever the text-to-speech was trying to tell you. So if there's some important combat information or character information, you'll get to hear that again. But we, you know, that was a, that was a challenging part of, of the accessibility, uh, you know, kind of mix, which is a bit different than, than the standard mix. It's amazing. Um, just the idea that the studio at all would, would devote resources and time to that is inspiring. And I, I think a, a lesson for other AAA studios and, and hopefully down the line, you know, hopefully we'll see more games coming out with, with these kinds of options standard and it becomes the new norm. And I think uh, you and your team have blazed a trail there that I hope a lot of people, you know, take inspiration from as well. That's absolutely the goal. I mean, on Uncharted 4, we started with some very basic kind of accessibility push there. We, it came on very late, so we, we only could do so much, but really um, for Last of Us Part 2, it was from day one that that was a part of the goal. Yeah. And there's a lot of what we did, a lot of what the studio did that is very achievable by any team under any budget. There's a lot of the stuff that's like a little more advanced technologically and and budget wise that might not be necessarily available, but there's a lot there to hopefully inspire other teams. And we've already seen it. I mean, Miles Morales had more accessibility options than Spider-Man just right there. And, and, and we're hoping that that sort of leapfrogging, uh, one-upsmanship, if you will, of of having those options in the games um, becomes the norm, like you're saying. Like that's yeah. absolutely part of the goal. And we we also uh, another point to add is um, great thing about working in Sony is like we have an internal group that talks about accessibility now, and we're trying to share as much information as we can. So it's not like ooh, it's our secret naughty dog right. uh, accessibility sauce. It's like no, no, let's tell everyone how to do all the things. Let's let's share the lessons that we learned um, because we do want. Uh, other other games to to share in that uh, accessibility focus. It's cool, man, and uh, kudos to you and the entire team for for doing that. It's it's really inspiring to see. As I said, um, all right, well let's uh, let's dive in. We got a lot to talk about this week. There's a lot brewing, and uh, we start the show with a segment called Story of the Week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story. Story of the 
Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or by visiting our subreddit, that's 5x5dlc.reddit.com, or our awesome Discord community, 5x5dlc on, on Discord as well. Great folks talking about games, talking about all sorts of stuff, so I encourage you to join that community. But Rob, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? You know, there's a couple things here I really want to talk about, but I, I also don't want to bury the lead. And so I'm just going to go for the uh, the Microsoft price increase for, for uh, Xbox Live Gold uh, and then uh, immediate retraction. I think that's that's one that's definitely worth diving into. Yeah. Um, just from from a from a personal standpoint, I understand the the want to raise the price because they want to sort of make the value proposition for Games Pass like that makes sense. But in my mind, like why not just combine them? Like just get rid of Xbox Live Gold and just make Game Pass that. Um, mm-hmm. But I I am glad to see that they did listen, uh, you know, very quickly to a a very loud <laughs> response from the community, and they actually yeah. did backtrack because I do think that's the right course. Uh, it felt it felt weird to go double the price. Like, I mean, Netflix just raised their price what a month ago, but it's always an incremental bit, and you're always like kind of annoyed by it. But you're like, yeah, I guess okay. I mean, there's a lot more, um, you know, a lot more content that's exclusive to that platform. I get the price increase, but this felt exorbitant to what might be considered maybe a more normal price increase if they increased it like five bucks. I think that might have been tolerable. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's an extraordinary, um, uh, swift response from Microsoft. And I think pointing to the new Microsoft, right? This is the new Xbox team, uh, in contrast to even just a generation ago, uh, you know, technologically when they were so slow to react to the, the, the backlash about the Xbox one rollout and everything was sort of bungled. It feels like, man, Phil is, quick on the draw wants to be uh hyper connected to the fan base and uh i wonder if you guys think that there is any downside to this so just to give the overview in case anyone wasn't watching the the news because it went quick it was fast uh there was an announcement of an increase in xbox live gold pricing uh that was met with a uh, a lot of consternation from from fans as one might expect, uh, whenever the price goes up for something. And Microsoft not only reversed course and said, nope, we're going to keep, we've heard you, quote, we messed up today and you were right to let us know, which is pretty amazing. Connecting and playing with friends is a vital part of gaming and we failed to meet the expectations of players who count on it every day. As a result, we have decided not to change Xbox Live Gold pricing. So of course, gold is what is required to play multiplayer games on the Xbox um, um, community in the community. Uh, but also, more than that, they also reversed course on uh, something that wasn't changed, that had been uh, the norm for years, and that was that you had to have gold to play, free-to-play games on Xbox Live. No longer the case. If you want to play a free-to-play game on the service, you no longer need a gold membership, which is like not only just reversing course on an announcement, but kind of going above and beyond further uh, I think making, getting some good, generating some goodwill among the player base. So I'm curious what you think about this, Rob. Uh, 
there's part of me that gets worried anytime uh, these big corporations listen to vocal minorities uh, clamoring and complaining online uh, because it sets a precedent of, you know, just cry, you know, the squeaky wheels get the, get the grease type of a situation. But I think here um, it's, it's pretty inspiring. It's pretty exciting to see money at the heart of it. You know, the, they said, we're going to take less money from you. Uh, so what, what is your take on this, Rob? I I understand the concern with the vocal minority point, but I think, like I said, this, this felt, this feels, I think it's contextual. Like, I think this feels different because it was such a ginormous price hike that, that seemed wrong. It almost feels like there was like two hands not talking to each other within Microsoft. Like, that that once that was out there, somebody went, whoa, no, that's not what we meant to do at all. Um, but I, it's impossible to know. Um, but I, I do really think that they they did do the right thing, regardless of if it came from a small minority of people, because I think yeah. ultimately it's the right thing and it does get them goodwill because small minority or not. I mean, the news cycle on this was extremely negative, not yes. just people moaning on Twitter, but like everyone covering it was like, this is not a smart thing to do pretty much. So I think, I think that makes it slightly different than people complaining loudly about something they don't necessarily like, where this is like affecting people's wallets, which sometimes matters more than just, uh, you know, a game decision that they don't necessarily like. Yeah. I mean, a holding multiplayer gaming behind a paywall at all feels weird and antiquated in a certain sense, right? If you're on a PC and you want to play a multiplayer game, nobody's asking you to pay an extra fee to do that. Um, and that same game, in many cases, that same third-party game released on the Xbox or the PlayStation will require a subscription in order to take advantage of those systems. And yes, there are a lot of things that go along with that. There's an infrastructure that you're paying for. But Christian, I wonder what you think about this. Do you, do you think this was a smart move on Microsoft's part to, to change course so quickly? Uh, do you think that they should have gone further? What's your feeling? I think it was a smart move to turn course as quickly as they did. The, the thing I'm interested about, and you know, Rob kind of mentioned the potential two hands not talking to each other, is how we got here in the first place. Was it a thing of like we got to get our gold, our, we got to get our Game Pass subscribers up? How are we going to do that? I don't care how you do it. Just do it. Uh, yes, ma'am. You know, like off, off I go or whatever. And then it's like not like that. I, I, that is not how you do that. Well, I don't, we were trying something, change it, change everything. Like it seems again, like Netflix, you know, that, that cost has gone up, uh, Disney plus like that. If you subscribe for four years, you can, you can get it for this. And then now it's like, this is how much it really is. Um, but typically I'm accustomed to seeing those kinds of press releases with, Here's all the new content that's coming out. Netflix is like, we have a new movie coming out every month or whatever it was, or every every week. It's like, here's all these stars. We're making all this content. The cost is going to go up a little bit. The Xbox release that was like, the cost is going to go up a little bit. And by a little bit, we mean double. Here's what you get in return. Nothing. Have fun. It was like, yeah. ooh, this is not good. Like it was a it was rough. It wasn't two dollars. It was double. And then walking back, I think is super smart and not requiring gold for these free-to-play games is is smart as well but to me it kind of begs the question of 
if I don't need to pay to play these free to play games, <laughs> yeah. Why do I need to pay to play multiplayer when I do pay for the game? <laughs> like it's like, well, you paid for the game, so of course you got to pay for multiplayer. What? Why? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know there is all of this sort of stuff that carries over between games and you know they're justifying it with this infrastructure that we all enjoy. You know, you get on your you have your your Xbox Live friends lists and all these things that are persistent and and uh, ubiquitous across all these titles, but also like Steam has that. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not getting anything. I, I, I mean, point me to something that I might be forgetting about these, you know, PSN and Xbox Live Gold that I don't get with Steam, and you know, I have to pay for. I, I, I don't know what it is at this point. Like I said, it feels a bit antiquated right when these services were rolling out in the Xbox 360 era and PlayStation 3 era, it felt like, you know, there was a lot more upfront cost of these corporations building out this infrastructure. And now it doesn't, I mean, maybe we have servers for, you know, dedicated servers or we have, uh, you know, cloud saves and stuff like that that you're paying for. But man, I think this points to like, well, why are we even paying for this at all? Let alone more. So... Yeah, I don't know how I, you guys feel about that. I'm I'm curious where it goes. I, I really am. <laughs> Part of me thinks the, the other side of what you said, those conversations that someone at Valve is like, how, how can we charge for this stuff on Steam? Oh, God. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know if PC is just so disparate in terms of like, you know, it kind of has this pirate mentality right like hack it build it do it kind of thing they're like we're not even going to bother charging because people will find a way around it you know to some extent versus a more walled garden of consoles but um it's it's been curious for a while and then there's kind of like well we're giving you these free games you know playstation did that microsoft's like well here we're giving you these free games too um it was like oh now it has this value and then but that kind of has been eroded by these other platforms, uh, these other avenues for free and discounted games or subscriptions to games. Um, and I don't, you don't pay for it on Stadia. You, you, you know, you don't pay for it on um, GeForce Now, which I guess is just PC. Um, you don't pay for it on Luna. So like more and more and more, we're going to see, I think, not paying for multiplayer. And, and I think that's the way the domino is going to go. It's just, it's it's a very heavy domino, apparently. Yeah, it's a strange thing to see Microsoft having even thought to do this because it seems like they want, as you said, Christian, when we brought this up, they want to push people to Game Pass. Like that's that seems to be their their play, and it, it's a weird thing that like, oh, there's this other, you know, you can have the joint gold and Game Pass subscription, but it's a little clunky, and I think streamlining it will happen over the next you know, several years in this console cycle, I think we're going to see this stuff get streamlined into being more Netflix and Amazon prime type services rather than just purely paying for multiplayer access. Yeah. Um, It feels, it feels like a legacy thing at this point, like you said, from the sort of 360 PS3 generation that feels old. Um, And I really do think, especially for Xbox, because like the the value proposition for Game Pass is so high that like if you just bundled it there, I feel like you're especially because they already have a bundle. But if you just yeah. make it one thing to where you don't even have to think about it as Xbox Live uh, access to multiplayer and 
access to your game pass library um i think it's just less friction for the consumer <laughs> like yeah exactly and, and when for this awesome thing right and when and when playstation does it and they combine xbox or playstation plus with playstation now and they arrive at playstation plow i'll have predicted it all right moving on um <laughs> christian spicer what is your story of the week this is going to be a long year, my friend. It's going to be. <laughs> I think the person, uh, I'm not going to say it because it could be taken the wrong way. I'm going to say the only, yeah, I'm not even going to say it. It's going to be a long year. It is going to We're be. We're making jackets, just like Homer. We're making <laughs> jackets. It's it's already happened. It's They're talking about it in the Discord. We're making jackets. Uh, okay. Um, for me, the story of the week is um, Vicarious Visions being rolled in being succumbed to the blizzard i don't know um the avalanche of the blizzard they need it they need a they need to plow basically they need a good yeah, plow. there you go that name again it's uh ps plow yeah. to dig them out um most recently they made tony hawk one and two which i raved about last year absolutely phenomenal um release of those games they did the crash re-release as well and i just an outstanding studio in my opinion. Like I, I think a track record of just of hits and working on some great games. And now uh, based on the press release that came out, it appears as if they are going to be a support studio for the larger blizzard instead of like, Hey, go make a new IP or go work on this franchise or, or, or be a lead on this. They, it seems like will be one of the mini studios you see as you're waiting to get to the title screen of a game or when the credits are rolling and you're like, how many people worked on this <laughs> um, in support of, I guess, Blizzard games. So I guess, you know, Diablos are unannounced or helping ship Overwatch 2 maybe, but it's kind of a bummer, I think, because that team seems super talented and it, this seems kind of unceremonious to me. Well, the rumor is that Vicarious Visions has been working on a Diablo 2 remaster for quite a while, and that Blizzard was so dissatisfied with the Warcraft 3 remaster, which received a lot of hype and was um, was a disappointment. I think I think there's only one way to describe it. It was a disappointment to fans. It was a disappointment to the studio when it released. It had a, a bunch of problems. And uh, I think they the rumor is that they wanted to they being Blizzard wanted to avoid a repeat of that kind of scenario, and we're using Vicarious Visions to uh, work on the Diablo two remaster, which is unannounced. But chat is saying remake is what they're politely true. saying. Yes, pardon me, remake. These terms uh, should be precise, and I, I, it's my mistake for not also, being precise. It hasn't been announced, so it can't, <laughs> yeah, we don't really know. Yeah, I mean, Warcraft Three was a remaster, right? Yes. Uh, so Diablo Two remake would be pretty exciting. Uh, but yes, uh, supposedly that was handed over to the Diablo Four team, and then, um, then they brought in Vicarious Visions to kind of offload that work as work on Diablo Four ramped up. And uh, they're they're calling it Diablo Two Resurrected. All, again, all of this rumor, but if that's the case, I'm super excited. Obviously, Vicarious Vision is very good at these kinds of remakes, these kinds of taking old games and making them look gorgeous on modern technology. So, uh, as a huge fan of Diablo Two, very excited about that prospect. But yeah, I get what you're saying, Christian, about it being. Um, a bit of a bummer to, to hear that they'll no longer be the lead developer on any kind of game creation. 
Rob, you are inside a developer uh, all the time. What What is you, your take on this? Do you, is this the kind of thing that would be disheartening to a, a group, to, to Vicarious Visions themselves, or do they see it as potentially an opportunity, do you think? Probably a little bit of both. Um, the thing that bums me out the most is sort of losing Vicarious Visions, VV, as it's colloquially known in the games industry, as, as a brand. Like, yeah. they're a studio that has a very long history. They've been around for a very long time. One of the few East Coast studios, they're in Albany, New York, which is, is rare. Um, so them to sort of lose their identity and just become, you know, a Blizzard New Yorker or, or whatever, um, Blizzard East. Uh, yeah it's just a bummer just from a, just from a name standpoint. Um, it does, I mean, they do good work though. So I think ultimately for the security of the people working at the studio, it's probably a good thing. It, it ensures longevity that those people will have jobs and projects to work on whether or not it's the projects that those folks were hoping to work on if they were developing internally. I mean, typically studios are always, trying to develop things internally, especially smaller studios, sports support studios. They want to like make their own IP eventually. That's probably the goal of every studio I would imagine. Sure. Um, and so losing that for now uh, is probably, there's probably some sting to it, but I would also say like if they continue to prove themselves doing this, there's no reason why I wouldn't think that they might be handed something in the future um, that maybe is a blizzard IP and maybe they get to make a new game with one of those IPs. So if team, I mean, the other, the other part of the story that is really interesting is team one within Blizzard is sort of being decommissioned. It seems like, um, which, which was might, like the marquee team. I mean, that was the team at Blizzard, you know, team one was the, you know, the team. So it's, it, that's a pretty wild, uh, yeah, upheaval internally seems like. So that's, that's a more interesting story. It's like how all those people are being displaced to other teams within Blizzard yeah. itself. Like that, that I feel like is, maybe the more interesting bit because i think vv being absorbed they still have got work to do they still have got really great ip to work on i mean if they're working on yeah. a diablo 2 remake that's pretty awesome as a huge diablo 2 fan myself i'm very excited for that um not having loved diablo 3 as much uh and i i really think that uh getting back to diablo 2 would be a really cool thing and i think they'll do a really great job they've proven uh in their past games that they're really good at, at looking back into the past and and moving things forward uh, in a more, you know, modern take, both visually and, and you know, maybe fixing some of the problems along the way. So I, I think they're still out to make good games. Um, I think it remains to be seen whether in, in the long term that it really has a negative impact on the studio's ability to make, you know, new games or new IP or anything like that. Here's my question to you, Jeff. This game has not been announced, uh, Diablo 2 Remake. But assuming it is real and Vicarious Visions is on it and kind of pushing that ball forward now, what does that say about all the other Diablo? Like Immortal... I mean, the they're mobile, farther out. <laughs> well, Immortal was just alpha tested, and, you know, the mobile game, and, it, and people loved the alpha. Like, it, it, yeah. you know, it went full circle from... Well, until it's a wide release and we see the monetization, who knows? But, <laughs> but that's, a, that's a different market, right? That's, that's not competition with... With Diablo it, Four, it, Diablo it's Two, a much bigger market. <laughs> um, well, the, yeah, theoretically, it's a much bigger market, but it's also a different market. You know, it's yeah. and it, Diablo, it is it is to capture a different market. Diablo Four, uh, we played three years ago now. Like, you know, uh, but that's Blizzard, right? That's not uncommon with Blizzard. Is to you know that that's happened every time I've 
been to a BlizzCon. It's like, well, I'm playing something and then it doesn't come out for five years. So um, we're, we're early enough in the year where we can add this to Bold and Cool Ranch. Diablo <laughs> 2 this year, Diablo 4 2023, Diablo 4 this year, Diablo 2 2024. Like, I don't think a Diablo 4 comes out in 2021. I, I think we're going to get a, uh, we're, we're probably going to see Blizzard put Overwatch 2 out this year. I think that's the game that ships this year. Uh, if a game ships this year. Um, and maybe the Diablo 2 remake is a stopgap to uh, help hype up Diablo 4. Uh, I mean, they are they have been, I think, very um, consistent with updates. I've been reading the Diablo 4 update blog that they put out that sort of recaps the progress that they're making on Diablo 4. It sounds like they're making, you know, lots of progress on that game. So, you know, it is in playtesting. They're adding features all the time, adding content. So who knows how far out it is, but it doesn't seem like you would put out a Diablo 4 and then a Diablo 2 remake. Although they put out the, you know, vanilla WoW uh, package after putting out a WoW expansion. So, you know, I, I I can't be sure. It just does feel like this would be a thing that helps generate hype for 4 in the interim rather than something that comes out after four. Yeah. It just, if, the, if this is too good, I don't know if you need four, you know, two right, well. gave people a lot of hours, <laughs> you know? And yeah. Then, but I, but four promises to be pretty different in terms of adding things, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I think again, this is the same company that has a subscription based MMO and then put out a parallel subscription based MMO of the game as it was 15 years ago, you know? So, and it was a huge success, right? There was a huge success for them. They, that you can't doubt the, yeah, it sounds like, it seems like a a kind of a dumb idea on the face of it, but it worked. It worked for them. So I don't know. (laughs) All that is to say, I don't know. I'll buy both, you know? So I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to play both for sure. Yeah. Uh, All right. Um, You guys have left me some juicy stories. Uh, I, we have to talk about the Resident Evil event, so we're going to. But my my personal story of the week, I think, is Puzzle Quest Three was announced. Uh, this game is just this this series is very near and dear to my heart. Back when I was doing the Totally Rad show in like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, the first Puzzle Quest came out. It was like our game of the year that year. All three of us on that show, all three of the hosts of that show, fell in love with Puzzle Quest. It was like unlike anything we'd ever played before. Now, you know, match three adventure games are a dime a dozen, but Puzzle Quest, like, invented that. And I I mean, we lo- I played so many hours of Puzzle Quest, and I will always have an affinity for that title, that name. I think Puzzle Quest 2 didn't grab me as much, although I played a lot of Puzzle Quest 2 as well. And uh, 505 Games has announced that Puzzle Quest 3 will be coming this year, uh, later in the year. And uh, the bad news is it's going to be free to play, which to me is uh, is is kind of a, a moniker that doesn't make me excited about things anymore. It, it used to be something that was a positive, potentially positive. It's like, oh, I can play it and I will play it. Oh, yeah, there's nothing, you know, I have no downside to trying Puzzle Quest 3 now, but it does feel like, oh, there's going to be lots of kind of smarmy uh, monetization things hopefully that's not true hopefully they do it in a very cool way but i don't know rob do you have any um affinity for puzzle quest puzzle quest one i played on xbox 360 
I, a ton. That was like my wind down game. That was the game yeah. after the game kind of thing. Like I'd play some, you know, bigger game and then play that before bed. And, uh, and the, the girl I was dating at the time was also a huge fan. So we'd play it uh, even just sitting on the couch next to each other. So I, I have yeah. a, a big affinity for it, but like you, like puzzle quest two didn't really hit the mark for me and I kind of lost track of it. And then it became a dime a dozen for this style of game. Right. So I gotta be honest, puzzle quest three as a free to play game. It's not all that exciting to me. Um, especially with the, the idea of like microtransactions coming in. It's like, yeah, you can play four matches a day and then, if you buy these gems and you can unlock more and then all that kind of smarmy free to play stuff, I despise in games, especially having yeah. kids now, like, cause all kids games are that, yeah. um, it just makes me not, it makes me kind of repulsed, unfortunately. Yeah. I hope, I hope we're both wrong about this, that it's not going to be that way. That it'll be a, they'll figure out a way to do it with some class and, uh, I, but I, I, my fear, my fear, that's what it's going to be. It's just going to feel like any other of the numerous games you can download on mobile now that basically do this. But Puzzle Quest paved the way for them. Uh, Christian, what about you? Any, any affinity for Puzzle Quest? Yeah, I, I think I, I'm with both of you, and I think where a lot of people are, it's like Puzzle Quest One, you know, was a trailblazer and, and started a trend. And then even by the time Puzzle Quest Two came out, it's like I had already been burned by enough of the shmarmy mobile game versions of it that even though puzzle quest 2 was not that i was just kind of like i don't need that also i still have puzzle quest (laughs) 1 like it didn't go anywhere um i i do think and i use it as an example a lot because unfortunately there aren't tons of examples but i do think fortnite has shown and PUBG as well and call of duty uh they're all first person shooters so different style of game but they do the free-to-play mobile game very well in my opinion um and there is a market there and they're both what they're both all three are wildly successful you know make a lot of money unfortunately most others are atrocious and many of the match games are the most atrocious and unfortunately i will say this if you want to play puzzle quest 3 i don't know anything about this game specifically play during the first month before they introduce all the crappy stuff later. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just shows you how much the industry changed, right? Uh, the first Puzzle Quest, which was called Challenge of the Warlords, came out in 2007, as I said, like right when we started doing the Totally Rad Show. And it came out on the DS, Nintendo DS, and PlayStation Portable, right? There weren't smartphones that played games. They just wasn't a thing. That, I mean, the iPhone was just being released around the first iPhone, was just sort of happening around that time. They hadn't figured out apps yet. So it's hard to even fathom a world where there was no such thing as mobile gaming market. It was the Nintendo DS and the PSP that were mobile gaming. That was the only mobile gaming there was. And man, playing with the stylus on my DS is how I played Puzzle Quest. I bought that game, or maybe it was sent to me. I don't know. We were reviewing games at that time, maybe. But whatever the case is, it didn't have any of that stuff because no, nothing had any of that stuff. It was there wasn't that stuff. Uh, and here, you know, only three, the third iteration later, that the world has changed so much. Um, it's it's just kind of a wild thing to think that this game is now coming out and and such as such as the gaming landscape right now of course this game is going to be on mobile and of course this game is going to have that stuff built into it all of the things that aped the 
template that it introduced did that and probably made, I mean, this game made a lot of money, but th- they all made lots of money. So I just hope it doesn't succumb to the, to the worst impulses of that business model. Because I, I have affinity for the, for the franchise. I really do. I, I'd be very happy to be wrong. I really yeah. would. Exactly. I have affinity for 505, I should say. Um, I can't I agree. rattle off all of their games, but I talk about a lot of their games a lot. So, yeah. Well, there's know, a couple I, huge winners there for sure. I mean, yeah. yeah. I'm hopeful. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the, before we get to the next segment, let's talk a little bit about the uh, Resident Evil event that happened on the 21st. Um, Resident Evil Village. We'll talk about the demo that was released called Maiden uh, on PlayStation uh, in the the um, playlist segment because uh, several of us have played it. But it's a pretty big event and announced a, a number of things, including the fact that Resident Evil Village will be coming in May. May 7th is the current release date. And current this game that was... Night tone, hoping it gets delayed. Oh, it will. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. Uh, and uh, surprisingly, a game that had been announced as a very prominent next-gen title, or what is now current-gen title, PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X title, and PC... Uh, is going to be released on the previous gen, PlayStation 4, Xbox One. And there will be uh, upgrade paths. You, if you buy the game on PlayStation 4, you'll be able to upgrade to the PlayStation 5 version for free. Uh, same thing with Xbox One to Xbox Series S or X, uh, which that's going to be smart delivered, so you don't even have to worry about it on the Xbox platform. Pretty cool there. Uh, what do you think about this, Rob? The... Are you a fan of Resident Evil? Are you excited for Village? And what do you think about these games that are now sort of well into 2021 still being released on uh, previous gen? Uh, first of all, I'm a mega Resident Evil fan. I mean, all the way back to... I mean, I used to rent a PlayStation from Blockbuster Video just to play Resident Evil 1 before I could own one myself. Yeah. Uh, and it's a it's had a huge influence on my life, especially from game audio. I mean, like the original Resident Evil games, those Spark oh, sure. have very effective and evocative sound in them. So I've been a huge fan ever since. And I think Capcom has had a renaissance of Resident Evil as of late, starting with 7 and then the remakes, and now 8 or Village. Um, I'm really excited. I think the move to first person was a big head scratcher to me. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. And then I played it and I was like, Oh, okay, I get it. It's actually pretty good. Um, Falters a little bit towards the end, but like ultimately like it was extremely effective, scary game. I did not play in VR because I just don't know if I could handle that. But uh, even still in two, in 2d, it was, it was just as as scary. And this, uh, everything I've seen from it is right up that same alley of uh, seven. Um, In terms of like, games coming out cross-gen like i think that's just smart um they've shown that that re engine is very scalable like extremely scalable the ones uh, the remakes and seven looked fantastic on any console that you played them on and eight is just that same engine now scaled up even further for for next-gen consoles and i think they already had that scalability built in because they were building it for pc all the way down to base ps4 previously yeah. so now they're just scaling that higher end further, but they can still go back to the low end. So I, that's just smart. Um, and then doing the right thing, offering free upgrades on on PS4 to PS5 and on uh, smart delivery for Xbox. That's just smart because you're going to catch people, you know, who who right now can't, they may have the money to buy an Xbox Series X or a, or a PS5 and not be able to get it. 
yeah. and still want to play it right away. And, and, you know, you're going to, you're going to take care of those people who have those systems and want to play the game now, and then maybe get the opportunity to buy a, a, one of the new consoles sooner. Um, I, I think there's, they've done everything right here. There's nothing to complain about. Oh, yeah, and- come on. <laughs> well, Christian will find something to complain about. Don't How you worry. Dare all oh, May coming out in May. No, I'm just kidding. What do you think, Christian? I mean, it looks like this is going to be a direct sequel to Seven, which is kind of cool. Uh, they they laid down some cool stuff that they're picking up now that I think is pretty neat. Um, what do you What do you think? I, I I agree with Rob. I think they're doing everything right. Um, I thought the presentation was was really well done, top to bottom. Um, again, we're still in. It's I forget who where I saw it first. Someone this week was like. Uh, uh, when COVID gets better is a lot like hearing like, you know, when, when my ex-boyfriend's going to call me back, it's like this magical thing that we all keep talking about that we know is not ever going to happen. And now it's just like, when COVID's better, we'll go back to presentation. I was, was going to say, they did a really good presentation considering we're still in this COVID. And it's like, we were going to be here for a while. Um, yeah. But it was, I thought it was really well done. And it does seem like they're kind of firing on all cylinders with, I think what makes modern Resident Evil fun and engaging for so many fans. And, you know, there's already cosplay and fan fiction and they have a yeah. very memorable character already. A couple, but one very memorable character. I already saw our girl Lana dressed up. Yes. She on her Instagram. Do you see that? Yes. That's Unbelievable. right. Phenomenal. Unbelievable. Put that together quick. And I know. Really- I was like, how is that even? But it was just yeah, had that lying around the house ready to go. I guess. Yeah. I guess. Like lying around the ancient creepy mansion, you know, just. Well, to be fair, I mean, you were able to do that for Johnny Cage and the new Mortal Kombat's also, Jeff. You were just like ready to go. <laughs> I had the reflective shades. <laughs> Sometimes you were already a role. Um, but, I, and I think doubling down on what Seven did is is smart. Seven was a, a hit critically and commercially. Um, and then the Resident Evil 4 unannounced <laughs> remake, you know, like they're, they're, I feel like they're kind of copying, not copying, but similar to what we talked about with Blizzard. It's like they're hitting everybody, firing on all cylinders. And the only kind of nit about the, it, it being last gen still, and but I think Rob addressed it, but I, I could see people being concerned that like, oh, it's not gonna be as what it could have been well, you know and they put out something to make sure that everybody knew they literally put out a a, a visual demo and we'll get to that shortly right. but yeah it's like let's quell your fears it's gonna look pretty it'll look yeah <laughs> it'll look really good i'm excited for it i i think um you know i did not finish it in vr but i do think it was a very compelling experience i'm a little bummed that it's not happening that's in the, vr as well but that's the biggest missing piece from the presentation was where's the vr announcement and let's do a vr on pc please not just on playstation um yeah, yeah i don't think it's going to happen will be my guess um but it, i mean not, that, not not that i'll even have the guts to play it like that so it's not a big loss for me if it doesn't but i just think it was such a great i mean just incredible use of vr yeah, it's hard to complain. The I, I guess this is the only complaint, the only legit complaint that I can have. It, it's nothing to do with Capcom, but it's just like coming on the heels. My of back hurts. <laughs> it, it uh, coming on the, the following up on Cyberpunk and what that was, and all the stories about that, and then this again incredible Resident Evil uh, Eight uh, presentation comes out, and then all the stories about how you can pre-order and all the different editions. It's like don't 
don't don't pre-order it like we yeah yeah yeah. wait but yeah again it's it's that's just everything yeah they did great all right, well, let's, we'll get to talking about that demo and a lot of other cool things, including Hitman 3, uh, shortly, but I want to thank our first sponsor, which is Brooklyn. And I had, I had a funny experience, uh, just, uh, yesterday morning, Saturday morning, my wife, who is an angel, you guys both know her, uh, she gave me the greatest gift. She said, uh, I will take the ch- children in the morning and you can sleep in until the, incredibly late hour of 8.30 a.m., which to me, unbelievable. To sleep until 8.30 a.m. just felt like, what a thing. What an amazing, magical thing. Uh, and I had the experience of uh, having my wife get up and, and go and, and take care of the children and then me being able to pull up my Brooklyn and sheets and curl up and just feel the delight of staying in bed. Brooklyn and sheets make that experience a bazillion D times better. I am telling you the most comfortable sheets I've ever owned. Do you love your sheets the way I love my Brooklinen sheets? If not, you got to listen up because Brooklinen allows you to get that luxury experience, that incredibly high quality experience without the luxury markup. Uh, They have a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and tastes. They work directly with manufacturers to make that luxury available directly to you without having to mark up the price, which means that you can afford to have that experience of just curling up in bed, feeling that incredible luxury. It really is. Over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting, and they're so confident that you will love their products that they even offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. That's a year, folks. A year. And Brooklyn is... So much more than sheets. I also have Brooklyn and towels that are super fluffy and luxurious. They've got comforters, pillows, even loungewear, and more. You got to check it out. Because it's 2021, you need to do something nice for yourself to start the new year. And to help you do that, Brooklinen has a special offer. Go to brooklinen.com and use promo code DLC. You'll get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. Again, that's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N dot com and enter promo code DLC to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more plus free shipping. Brooklinen.com, promo code DLC. All right, it is time to talk about the games that we have been playing lately Rob, what have you been playing? I got a boring list because it's all old stuff, but I was kind of busy and kind of sick. So my list is a bit old. But but one one I really want to talk about is I've been playing lots of Minecraft with my son. Mm. Uh, my son is six years old, so he's just getting into video games. We we we've tried to limit the screen time, obviously, uh during during quarantine times, that has been more challenging. And so I figured it was it was a perfect time to start, you know, slowly rolling them into video games. We started with the Lego games, which I think for couch co-op kitty games are still awesome. I love them when they came out. But to go back, I literally plugged in my Xbox 360 so we could play those together. Um, awesome. Those were just really fun to go through the Lego games and the Batman games and everything. But, um, you know, we started on Minecraft maybe a couple months ago, two months ago or so. And it's been awesome to watch him learn how to navigate a 3D camera, how to learn about what respawns are and and 
and really just watch him be creative because there was a couple times where we we normally play together, but there, there's been a few times where he's played on his own and just watching him build stuff like he's built giant towers and big buildings and all this stuff that is just I mean, this is standard Minecraft stuff. I'm not telling you anything new, but um, seeing it through new eyes, like I played it when it came out and I was like, yeah, yeah I get it, but it's not really for me. Um, but now it's like this amazing bonding experience that we have. And it's had a, an awesome knock on effect because actually the, the team at Mojang actually put out a series of books uh, on, on like how to do the various things in Minecraft. So rather than, you know, going on the internet or watching YouTube or, or reading a, a FAQ or something, um, I've been having him earn these books by good behavior and encouraging him to read. So it's had this wow, like really great. great sort of synergistic screen time, but also here's stuff that isn't screen time, but is related to the thing you really like. Um, and so he's, he's been reading a ton and learning about the creative mode and the, and the survival mode and the redstone and the whole thing. Um, so that's that's been an exciting kind of bonding game to play together. And it's relatively nonviolent, which is great, but it still has challenge. It still has consequence. It has, still has all these like awesome lessons. Sounds like your son plays it very differently than uh, my (laughs) youngest where, uh, we were out exploring and the little pig came along and we had our little sword out. She's like, what happens if you, can you attack the pig? And I was like, well, yeah, but we don't need to attack the pig. And she's like, attack, attack. <laughs> and it like poofs into me. And she's like, we're going to kill all the animals. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, kill all the animals, dad. And she plays it. We are killing everything except for the babies. Cause oh, there's cute. And then carpeting everything, which is just, did you tell her that they all were babies at one point? Not when we're going to kill them. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's wild. Like to me, I I love like, as you talk, like seeing it through their eyes and watching them play it. I think I would have talked about it on the show, Jeff, once. So forgive me. Uh, but like, I don't know how you feel, Rob. I'm curious if you've ever kind of just been like, what are you doing? Like watching my girls play Animal Crossing or Minecraft. It's like, yeah, you're just stacking aquariums of fish on top of each other on the beach. You could sell those or put them in the. They're like, look, we had our own museum. Yeah. <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> it's been the opposite for me, which has been weird. Where he'll like look at the crafting table and look at the things, and then like, oh, what do I need to make? Like, he figured out how to make glass without being told That's or instructed. Awesome. And like, there are a couple other things like that. Like, he made a crafting table on his own. He made a furnace. Like all these things that I wasn't instructing him. Like the game was there was enough there in the game, and how simple that game is that he could figure it out. And that was super exciting and awesome. That's really and cool. I, I, know, uh, I know it's like an old game, but I, it's been really exciting for, for me and the family to, to have something like that, to play together during quarantine that kind of everyone can participate in. Cause otherwise a lot of the games that I like to play have to do super late at night or something, just cause they're not necessarily appropriate for my youngest loved last of us. Like she was a big, <laughs> <advocate. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I've mentioned before that uh, I had gifted my son during quarantine. I I was the same way where like we were just no screens or very, very limited screens. And then quarantine happened and it's just been like this slippery slope of uh, just I just need just turn on the television for a second. I just need. And so I also uh, gifted my son who's four, uh, my old 3DS turned the 3D off. But like I was like, okay, you know, I have Mario on here, Mario 3D World. and he has absolutely loved it to the point where I'm like worried now that he loves it. He's wakes up in the morning. He's like, daddy, can I do my screen time for the day? I'm like, right now it's, it's seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I, you know, he gets 20 minutes on the screen. So it's like, 
You're going to use it all up now? Yeah, yeah, daddy. Anyway, I bring that up to say that today, today, early this morning, we rolled credits on Super Mario 3D Land, uh, 3D World. What is it? Uh, anyway, land on the DS. Yeah, land. Yeah, and uh, I had I hadn't uh, ever done that. I had never actually gone all the way in and defeated Bowser in the final castle of that game. That was a fantastic game, and man, that last level was not easy. It was real fun. Um, really, really fun game to play through with him. I, I had to help him with a, a bunch of it especially that last level, it was like, daddy, can you do this? And he got super nervous, you know, the fire and the, and the Bowser. He's like, daddy, daddy, you, daddy, you have to be brave. You have to be brave. And he's like cheering me on. Anyway, so it was delightful. But old games, young kids, love it. I, I, I'm, I'm very excited to introduce him to Minecraft at some point. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a great game to have as, as, a, as an early kind of intro to navigating a 3D camera, particularly. Because that's uh, I, even my wife has started to play a little bit of Minecraft, and she's always had very, very trouble with the 3D camera navigation. Sure, yeah. Um, I think the only other one I want to touch on really is like I played Astro's Playroom um, from start to finish in one sitting because it was just incredible. Yeah. Uh, it was delightful. It was uplifting and cheerful, and everything I needed at the time, uh, especially given what I was going through personally, like. It was just a really great, and that was the first game that I really played after being sick. And um, it was just like the exact thing I needed. And and all the nostalgia stuff just hit in the right way. I found lots of little nods to the games that I've worked on in there too, which <laughs> has awesome. extra yeah. meaning, like yeah. in a way, like it was it was really cool to see like little Astrobot Joel and Ellie like hiding behind a wall with the the, the clicker um, and Drake yeah. like climbing up and shooting around like. That stuff is just it. Um, it hits different for me, I think. But um, but in general, just experiencing like I played a lot with the prototype versions of the of the um, of the DualSense, and finally playing a full game, like a full real game, utilizing all of those new technologies. It's so cool. It's yeah. so cool, and I can't wait to like use that on on one of our games because there's just there's so much direct interaction with audio. Like it's so tied in with the audio, the the way the haptics work, that it is. Yeah. Um, it's a very exciting thing to think of the possibilities there. Um, and and again, I'm not saying anything that that other people haven't already said. It's a delightful game. Everyone who buys a PS5, don't overlook it. It's free. It's pre-installed on your system. Play the thing. It's great. Totally. Yeah, it's so good. I think it's one of the best platformers of the last five years for sure. Uh, it's um, it's phenomenal. I wish it was on the consoles. I wish they eliminated that download step. I wish it was just there to play. I think it's that good. Because I do think some people might like, oh, I have my Demon's Souls disc or my Miles Morales disc. I'm going to play or that's the game I bought already and download it. It, Don't. Yeah, do not overlook it. It's so good. It's so good. Um, I know that you said that's the only one you ever you wanted to talk about, but I'm curious I saw that you were playing a little cyberpunk. Yes. What's your take on cyberpunk? You don't have to you know, trash another studio or anything like that. No, 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 no. I would never do that. Um, yeah. So the problem I have with cyberpunk is that I don't have a 3080 and I've been trying in vain to get one for months at no, this point. Yeah. Not in vain. Maybe that's why you've been. Yeah. Um, and I don't have a slouch computer. I mean, I have a 2080 or a, not a 2080, a 1080, which is like still pretty good from a few years ago, but it just doesn't run super well 
Um, it crashes really frequently, unfortunately, still, even with the latest patch. I, there may be something wrong with my computer. I don't know. But the, the experience has had a lot of friction. But when I do get in and finally play, um, I really I, I love the art of the world. And I really like the story missions. I do find that the, the open world is not as simulation based as I would have hoped it to be, I guess. It doesn't it feels like a Hollywood set almost like with facades and extras on it, as opposed to yeah. um, some of the other like open world games, GTA or Spider-Man where there just seems more stuff going on that I can get into. Yeah. Um, and, and, and not being able to really customize your character too much beyond your initial customized like character screen, especially for cyberpunk is like, I'm like, where's my metal legs? Where's my tread legs? I want yeah, like, right? tread yeah. legs. Like, why can't I have that? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. There's just things like that where I'm like, okay, I got to s- customize them once, but I can't make my like, I can't make a metal jaw now, or I can't like get right. you know crazy metal arm or anything like that. You can get your blades, your mantis blades, which is cool, but um, there's just certain things like that. I maybe my expectations were wrong, but that I expected from that cyberpunk vibe of being able to really like go transhuman and change everything about yourself kind of at will um mm-hmm. would have been more interesting um but that being said like i said the the uh the story-based missions are really great and the voice acting's great and the, the characters are really interesting and i think i will you know push through to finish it to get through the story stuff i don't know how much of the side content i'll end up doing though yeah a lot of people have mentioned to me that the side con- content is actually some of the best stuff and some of those there's there's some really juicy side content but yeah, I hear you, man. There's actually a, a pretty damning article this week in Bloomberg about some, you know, anonymous uh, inside sources supposedly saying how much of the game was was really thrown together at the last minute. They said they were, you know, laying tracks of the train as it was speeding forward, and uh, none of the team thought the game was going to be released before 2022. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of that story that we still don't know about that game. A fascinating, if sad, uh, tale, and I, I, I do agree with you that there's still a lot there to enjoy. Um, I just have not returned to that game at all, uh, and I hope maybe someday to do so. I, I'm, I'm still rooting for that studio in that game, but yeah, because there's clearly a lot of love and hard work that went into it, and, and the team that worked on it, I mean, clearly killed themselves to try to get something out that that yeah. people were going to enjoy. And there is a lot of great stuff in there. It's just. It needs that glue to kind of push it all together and keep it together long enough so people can uh, get through it without uh, without issues. I want to ask you a question here, Rob, and if you can't answer, I understand. Um, to me, I feel like Cyberpunk, aside from the own expectations the studio set with like early previews, I mean, like r- wall running, you know, like and things that we knew changed, but like so much hype on that game. But I think another, you know, thousand pound gorilla that it had on its back was The Witcher 3 an arguably best game of all time candidate. Uh, it launched with some problems, but like well-regarded, well-respected the studio can do no wrong. Great additional content came out to it. Um, Naughty Dog's been there before. When you, what, what you're clearly Naughty Dog's making a new game, whatever, whatever. Again, we can be as vague, but like, just how do you carry that pressure of like, we can go from Uncharted for, you know, whenever you want, Uncharted, Last of Us, whatever it is. But like, you just made one of the best games of a generation. Go do it again. Good luck. They ex- everyone expects it to be better. Like, how how does that does that help a team? Is it Tom Brady now going to another Super Bowl? Like, oh God. let's do it again, or is it like 
we can't do this again. You know, like, how do you top yourself? Um, I think Christoph Balestra said it best. Um, he was former president of vice or uh, co-president of Night Dog. It's like internally we're, we are the, our worst critics and we put the most pressure on ourselves. Um, there's absolutely external pressures to, to be, you know, to make good games and to continue making great games, but making great games is extremely difficult. And like, it's as much luck as it is skill in a lot of ways. Um, you know, even going from like, if we go back in time in Naughty Dog's history, predating my time there, I've heard many, many stories from people who've been there for like when they transitioned from Jack and Daxter to Uncharted, like that's a massive shift in aesthetic and gameplay style and everything. And, um, you know, Uncharted one is a great game or maybe it's a really good game. I don't know if it's a great game, but you know, transitioning from one style to another, it's way more difficult than just making a new game in a similar style. Mm. And from the Witcher to cyberpunk, they're completely different games, right? It's a first person game versus third person game. It's a fantasy setting with lots of hills and valleys and not large populations of giant buildings and shiny surfaces everywhere. I mean, from a technical standpoint, you couldn't be making a more different game. And I, I, I think they, they didn't do themselves any favors uh, going for such a, such an opposite change in many ways, like going from uncharted to the last of us, you know, is an easier transition because it's relatively hyper-realistic, realistic looking art. You know, a lot of the people that are working on that art have an easier time making that transition than going from fantasy setting to all of a sudden now, um, this cyberpunk sci-fi urban setting. Uh, I do think that expectations are, are impossible to manage. I mean, they, they did have arguably one of the best games ever with the Witcher three. Um, but that only gets you so far. And, and I think that, um, overreaching is still good though. It's still good to like try and fail as, as harsh as that is to say, um, because you don't know what you could have made if you didn't try. And so I think they're also a big company with lots of resources and lots of time and I do think that they will make cyberpunk into everything that, that people expected it to. And um, it's just going to take them time. And I think they will gain that goodwill back. I really hope that studio culture wise, that they, they do what they need to do to, you know, fix whatever problems there are internally that, that may have led to some of the decisions being made. But I think ultimately, you know, they made a huge gamble just with the choice of subject matter. And, uh, it may not have paid off right away, but that doesn't mean that it won't. And that doesn't mean that their next game that they come out with after this won't, won't be great. So, um, yeah. Now that interestingly, that article also seems to allege that, uh, several years of development, the game really was a third person game, much more similar to Witcher. And then it, it, you know, we had, we had this long development cycle, but the game we saw only had a much shorter development cycle because they, threw out a bunch of stuff and started over as a first person game, which is, it's fascinating. I don't know how much of that is actually going to turn out to be accurate, but, um, that's, it's, it's a fascinating story. And nonetheless, and as you said, Rob, uh, making good games is hard. That's for sure. All right. Uh, Christian, you and I have a very similar playlist. Um, let's start with maiden, which is this very short, uh, demo for resident evil eight, the village, uh, they call it a visual, what is a visual presentation or visual 
visual demo or something like that. Anyway, it, it's very, very short. Playable trailer? No, sorry. I mean, basically, yeah, playable trailer, right? Uh, uh, Christian, what, what did you think of Maiden? So it is stunning. Um, very, very pretty detailed environment. Um, you know, and you kind of run a gamut of a dark cellar, like dingy gross into a kind of much more familiar resident evil mansion, you know, style house environment. And, and the art direction and the detail and the complexity of all the things, especially in the house, I think is truly stunning. Um, you know, like the doors are ornate in like, and I don't mean this negatively, but like overly ornate. Like you could have just yeah. put like a little gold. Rococo. It. It's re- we've, we've gotten into the full Baroque, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, ostentatious. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. And, and it's all there and it all looks good. And it's not like, oh, when I walk close to the door, I see that it's, you know, low poly this or whatever, low res this. It, it is absolutely stunning. Um, my critique of it would be it felt flat to me or mm, maybe the word I'm looking for is, is motionless. Like I, everything kind of felt hard. I almost felt like I was in a museum more than like, this is an old example. I have two old examples. I remember Batman 89 on Ness reading about it in whatever game pro or whatever magazine was like his cape moves and like Prince of Persia, the sands of time. It's like you walk through the fabric curtain and it billows. And there are certainly newer, better examples of that. And I feel like that was missing from this a little bit from Maiden. It felt like I was in a a sterile room of hard objects. Everything felt, it almost felt like more like mist than exploring a real 3d space for me. But I'm curious what your impression was, Jeff. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so short that I didn't, I guess I didn't, form that harsh of an opinion of it because I just felt like it was really, it's really there to just show off the engine and it shows off the engine. My goodness. I mean, it is, it is a stunning interior of that mansion that you see what, like three rooms of most of the doors in the game are locked. Uh, you, there's very, very little there to actually do, but it's pretty, pretty <laughs> the stuff that is there. And so I, I think I was a little more charitable with, with what they showed uh maybe it does i mean the that like old resident evil interface where the it like takes over the camera when you when you you know you open a drawer or something to like force the camera and pull the object up and gray out the background and show you the object all of that old resident evil in input stuff feels really outdated uh and there, and, and I, there's a certain charm to it because it's consistent with how the series has always been. But to me, it feels a little, little, I don't know, uh, a vestige of a, of an older time that they're intentionally holding on to, but I think they could let go of, I, I don't think it would not feel like resident evil anymore. You know, I wonder if that's also true. And, and I think it's a great point. I wonder if it is a design decision of some, uh, to some extent of the environments. Cause thinking of another way to put it, it does almost feel like a, pre-rendered background you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i remember the first resident evil those backgrounds it was just like so beautiful and and then like the gamecube remake was so beautiful but they're there to only be interacted with in very specific ways because they're pre-rendered yeah. literally can't and here it's that's not the case they're not pre-rendered but it it did feel that way it was almost like 
this is a thing for me to move around and interact with in these very specific ways only. And I do wonder if right. that is intentional. Yeah, I think I think it's a holdover of, of what those games have always been. Uh, I mean, I noticed it with seven as well. Uh, and even though the games look and feel completely different as they've moved to first person, they've held on to that stuff. You know, the item is there and it, you can rotate it. And it, you know, it's, it's, it, the text is all very, you know, typewritery and, and, and kind of archaic, uh, in by modern video game standards. But I think it's all there to give you a feel of, of consistency of the franchise. Anyway, yeah. it's an interesting it's a free demo on PlayStation five. Get it. Like it's yeah, totally worth it. playing. Oh, um, and it shows off your, you know, you'll be excited about your next gen system and your new gen system, because like, this is what the games are going to start looking like all the time. You know, it's uh, it's, it's real pretty. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about Hitman three. I'd like to intro this because I know you're a big fan of the franchise uh, of, of Hitman. I love that. And, I'm, no, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm super glad uh, I'm super glad to hear your take on Hitman 3. Um, I ha- have never been interested at all in this franchise. N- never. Um, I, I, I just, the protagonist felt bland and sort of uh, stiff and uninteresting. Uh, bland and stiff and uninteresting. The, <laughs> the, the, the whole idea of being a, a super... Uh, hitman just it didn't grab me the idea of like going in and stealthing your way into doing these these assassinations even though i you know i got into assassin's creed that's very different but the idea of like stealthing in and doing these assassinations it just never felt like my jam at all from afar i judged it to be a franchise that i just wasn't interested in at all and in fact i haven't played the entries in that franchise since probably the first one many years ago the first one, first one, or like twenty yes. first one? No, like the first one, first one. Like like one of the first ones I remember trying eons ago and just, just realized it's just not not for me. Just not interested in this franchise. Not and I haven't played any of the newer ver- new, newer games at all. Even though I've heard you and others uh speak very highly of them. Now I know you have definitely have not listened to any of the music I suggest as party gifts each week. <laughs> Why? Oh, oh yeah, that sounds great. You're recommending it? No, <laughs> I'll admit I haven't really tried much of the pop punk you've you suggested. That's true. Um, I know my tastes. I know my tastes. Uh, so this, I, I say that as as a way of saying this is one of the reasons, dear listeners, that it is good sometimes when people get codes for games, right? There was no universe where I was going to be playing this. I was going to let you be the person that got excited about this game and talked about it on the show. And uh, luckily, I got a code to try it out myself. So I loaded up Hitman 3 on my PC. Um, very excited to just see graphically what it was going to be because I know it supports ray tracing on PC. I was I just kind of want to see a, a pretty game. Loaded up the first mission, which is very much sort of a... Um, uh, like a Mission Impossible style, like assault on the tower in Dubai, you know, which whichever Mission Impossible it is where Tom Cruise is like repelling off that tower very much seems like of that ilk. You're on the outside of the tower. You have to get in and assassinate some people in this tower in Dubai. Uh, very pretty, very pretty. But playing that first mission, I was like, yep, I'm, I was exactly right. Not These games are not for me. 
I don't enjoy the tension all the time of, oh, I'm going to do something wrong. Like these games, games like this for me is not about all the possibility of the cool things I can do. It's about avoiding all the bad things that will ruin my mission. And I loved the fact that I could save anywhere because I was constantly saving anywhere. And then when I would do something wrong, just loading my save and keeping going. And I was like, this is fine, but I, I'm not, this is not, all my suspicions about this franchise were correct. This is not for me. But I finished that first mission and I was like, I'll try the second mission. And the second mission is basically the movie Knives Out as a video game. And I think the second mission in Hitman 3 is one of the greatest video game levels ever created. I I played that one level for three and a half, four hours, completely invested, absolutely wanting to do everything, solve this murder mystery, figure out every possible way that I could interact with the world, exploring this mansion, interviewing people, talking about, figuring out, it, it's a murder mystery. It's like a classic murder mystery, uh, you know, like an old Poirot novel or something made into a video game. And the number of different things you can discover and try and do and and the, the different ways you can approach problems, it is absolutely mind-blowingly extraordinary. Like, it is one of the greatest... The, the way how you discover information, the way the voiceover acting and all the side characters and, and people just wandering around the, the mansion uh, affects how you gain information, how, how beautifully that's conveyed and how you make you make connections between things and put different things together. The game doesn't spell things out. There's a sequence where I like figured out how to open this safe that I was like, this is incredible. I feel amazing. And by the end of it, I was like, maybe I love Hitman games. Maybe these games are for me, and I love them, and I just never knew it until I played this level. So did you keep playing? Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Um, the, the truth of the matter is, I have not had time to play level three yet. I am super excited about it. I kind of want to go back and play level one now, sort of having learned what it is that makes these games special. But the thing about the the second level is, and I know there's like myriad ways you can approach the problems of this level, but you know, you, 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 it is set up where you have to go into this mansion and kill somebody. I mean, that's a hitman game, right? You're going and you're going to kill somebody. But when you go in, you start finding out that there was already a murder and there's all these suspects and it plays out like a parlor mystery, right? It's knives out. It was like clue. Wasn't it, Jeff? That's why you liked it. You liked it. It's It's like a 3d beautifully realized clue. And you can find all of this different information. You're sneaking into rooms and you're overhearing conversations and interviewing people. But I will say, as you approach this, this mansion, this creepy mansion in the middle of nowhere, uh, you are sort of welcomed into that level by taking, knocking out the the private investigator who is already headed there and assuming his identity. 
I know you don't have to do that. Like that's one of the things about Hitman games is you don't have to do anything. It's all just a big, a, a big series of possibilities of how you're going to approach these problems, which is extraordinary game design. But the fact that I could assume the identity of someone that no one there already knew to immediately uh, call me out as being not the real person. And I could wander around without having to sneak for most of it completely changed the game. Cause now all of a sudden I'm not worried about being discovered every two seconds, except for when I try something really, uh, you know, uh, intense, but I'm actually able to sort of relax and enjoy myself. And I'm not just worried about bad stuff happening all the time. So Maybe you'll tell me that there's ways to do that in all of the Hitman levels, and I just wasn't realizing it. But that first level, even though I would get disguises, people are like, hey, you're not the maintenance man. And I'd be like, ah, run. Um, so th- I loved that about that level because I was able to sort of relax and enjoy and explore, really explore. And that that was the magic of this level. Like, if I'm very excited to progress, and I know you've played more of the game than I have. I mean, I'm very excited to progress at this point. I just haven't had the time. But if all I got, if Hitman 3 was just the second level of Hitman 3, I would think it's one of the best game experiences I've played in a long time. It is, it is an, an absolute masterclass in game design, as far as I'm concerned. I could not, could not believe it. Yeah, so a few things. One, I'm surprised you didn't go for the PlayStation 5 or 4 version to get the 4. I thought for sure you'd jump on that VR Um version of it which is only available on playstation 4 which feels weird because then you also right. want to play on playstation 5 um no i wanted that ray tracing a little more than the vr version i i assume i know you can play the whole thing in vr i read upload vr's review of it and they said it's actually a really well implemented mode but i like the, at this point the idea of me playing that game with the move controllers does not, not appeal to me though oh you play it with the dualshock mm-hmm. or du- whatever the yeah dualshock also, the second point not ray tracing what that is their engine and it's i'm i also got a pc code and i also got a code on stadia um and it's ray tracing will be coming later it that is just just heard that they're attempting to do the ray tracing in the the xbox version that's already on the pc version that's that's what i read no it's not on pc yet either um As far as I know, it sure looks like it, man. It, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's uh, again, it's it's a it's this is meant to be a testament to the team at uh, IO Interactive and not a knock. It is their rendering, their engine, and and there's been some uh, you know issues with this across different platforms. But and Hitman One and Hitman Two all got upgrades that you can play now in Hitman Three in that new engine or upgraded engine largely for free the caveat asterisk i know there are some difficulties but also and that's like across publishers and consoles what io interactive did with this game um you know different from accessibility in terms we're talking about with with last of us part two but i think is an example of like best in class of like how to do things and i can't even imagine the herculean effort that went into Get, like hitman one was episodic at a different publisher io interactive almost went out of business like bought their rights back like literally pulled themselves up from their bootstraps built this new uh publishing division uh self-released a game brought all this other stuff over upgraded it and it takes up less hard drive space like i have all three hitmen as one game now 
and it's less than the prior men have hit. Like just that side of it and the reflections and the lighting and the level in China is just phenomenal. The neon, I think it's the third world, Jeff. Um, Unbelievable. So I will, saying that, just kind of jumping in, picking it from where you left off. um, I can't say definitively because I didn't have the honest conversation with myself, but I think had this game come out last year, it would be top five. Like Hitman 3 is a phenomenal game. I'm almost certain. I know that there are great games to come this year, but I'm almost certain it will be in that conversation for me if it if it doesn't make my final list of five. Um, just an absolutely phenomenal game. Again, the upgrades they did to the engine, I, it's stunning. Um, and and its story is very compelling. Like Hitman 1, Hitman 2, th- these levels are... M- I'm going to use the word small because compared to the map of GTA five, it's small, but still large maps. Right. But they are small open worlds, each one with its own intricacies for you to figure out. And while the the, the layers of intricacies are kind of mind boggling, yes, the number, the number of different ways to do things. And part of the things that, that made me not recoil from the franchise is this idea of like, well, it's about replaying it over and over and over again. To me, I'm like, I don't, I'm not interested in replaying it over and over again. But now that I've know kind of like what that entails and how they are actually implementing it and how you can like set things up in advance as these wonderful Rube Goldberg machine, these little dominoes that, you know, allow you to attack things in completely new ways. It does seem like I, I misunderstood completely what that, design theory was yeah the hitman games have always been more of a puzzle game i think people mistake them for a third person shooter or an action game but they're not they are puzzle games through and through now yeah. the one I question was- i have for for maybe christian um so i haven't picked up three because i haven't played the last two the last hitman game i played was blood money which i i really like the hitman games i just th- they kind of passed by me i find a little bit of like analysis paralysis potentially because they do give you one and two and it's just so much content. And I feel well, you'd like have to, you'd have to buy one and two, like unless you already have them through, like it, it, if you're on the platform you're on and you've had them in the past, you can import them. So PlayStation gave them away. Like, most people I think have them, <laughs> you know, if you're like, it's free, get it. Um, but yeah, tech- I think I have them because of that. Right. But I, I honestly, and I just jump into three. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, they do a recap, and I think the story in three is very compelling. The story in, and it builds like it is a nice trilogy that puts a bow on it. But they set it up, and it's not overly complex, which I, I like. Like it is, yeah. You know, it's the it's the Bourne movies. It's the same thing. It's like oh, you were, you were told to kill people, and the people who told you to kill people are the real bad people that you need Uh-oh. to kill. So you got to go assassinate them. And yeah, it's not, you know, it's not not complex. So you, I think you pick it up pretty quick. At least I did. I felt like I did. Yeah, Rob, I think you can jump in with three. It's set, like, is it better if you've played all the others? Yeah, marginally better because you spent time with these characters a little more and you kind of understand your handlers and this, that, and the other. But I, I, I'm, I understand like the desire to play these new maps and to, to see the, the second level and experience that and then go back, <laughs> you know, like pick up all the other, go into the other missions or just cherry pick them too and be like, this is my question to you, Christian, is, like now that I've had this revelation that maybe I love Hitman games, is th- is level two of Hitman three 
the outlier? Is it the aberration? Or did I just not understand that all of the games are like this? A little bit of both. I would say largely you didn't understand that this is what all the games, all of the maps are about, but an attractive wrapper makes a big difference, right? So like none of the others are uh, like uh, are clue, you know, yet yeah, they're not whodunits. They're, they're, they're not that, but you can't, it, it's similar engagement where it's about patience and it's about hanging out in a scene and listening and overhearing conversations and putting the pieces together. And if you're, it might require a couple of outfit changes, but right. often get anywhere you want without being recognized. There might be like one other cook with like the circle over their head or whatever. That's like, Hey, you're not bill or whatever, but that one person's pretty easy to avoid. And then you pick up other pieces of the conversation and you put together this and you, you see the puzzle unfold in front of you. And you, because see- my experience with the first level, even of the, of the same game, that Dubai level was like, I just want to get the, the most direct route to getting to this person I need to kill, killing them and getting out. I'm stressed. I'm freaked out that they're going to find me. I just want to get in and get out as quickly as possible. I don't care about artistic flourish of poisoning or, or dropping a chandelier on their head or what. I, I don't care about any of it. I just want to do it as quickly as possible and as efficiently as possible and as directly as possible. And there was a number of moments where like I'm in the server room and I accidentally do a thing and now they're coming to get me. And I was like, none of the, I don't enjoy any of this, but it did not have to me that story layer that the second level had that made it so fascinating, so interesting. Uh, it, and maybe that was just my lack of understanding how I engage with the, the, the systems of the game. Like do most of the levels have that, Yes, that layer, yeah. that that layer of 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 learning about the exploring and finding that stuff. Yes, and I, the best parts about the game. Well, there are multiple. I I really love this game. Uh, one, you almost always. I don't. I don't want to say universally through all three of this modern trilogy, but when you start a level, you're not being pursued. You're not being chased. You're not at risk of being discovered. So there's there's not that pressure from the beginning. You know, it's not Crash Bandicoot and there's a boulder running down and you got to go do this. Right. You're there, you're in the disguise or you're in this location and you can just be, you can just be. And there's not also not like TikTok, TikTok, right? There's no, uh, like in, in 20 minutes, the the, ba- the person you're going to assassinate is going to leave and you got to do it. Right. Yeah. You're just there. So you get to explore and, and see what it's about. And, oh man, I have now blanked because my internet has flustered me, but um, you can go in and when you're looking at your mission briefings, when you're in the mission and do, uh, what are they called? Like story beats. And it, it will, it will guide you through some of those things where it will put right. a cursor on the map and be like, okay, you need to go get a screwdriver. And it kind of shows right. you where it is. And then and it, it holds your hand a decent amount, not a hundred percent, but it kind of shows you some of those layers of the onion of ways you can do things. And, uh, on one of them, in particular, I know for sure you you can't do both. Like there's multiple things, but they both result in the hit on the same person. So after right. you kind of what pursue one, it's like, well, you can't do this other one now because you're meant to run it again and see that other thing for how you're going to do it. And I love that it embraces um, you know, save scumming. It, it, it incur it has a pretty generous auto save, and you can save whenever you want. Like not if you're actively being fired upon, but otherwise it's just like save run it again. Okay. This person's on this guardrail and I have a prompt to push them save. Let's go push them. Oh, I got seen. Okay. Well, 
Now I want to push this person off the guardrail. Okay, there's two guards over there. I'm going to make it my mission to distract these two guards so that I can come push this person off the guard. Just because I want to, because the game lets me. And it's experiencing all of those things and finding you know, the ways that you can, air quote, brute force yourself through a level or set up this elaborate trap and, and watch it all come to fruition in front of you because of the things that you did, the things that you understood. And it has that, you know, we talk about portal a lot where it's like, I solved this. And IO Interactive is like, yeah. And by the way, that's one out of a thousand ways you can do it. Have fun. And yeah. it, you see the end level mission briefing, it kind of shows you the things yeah. you did. And it's like, there's so much more I can do. And it's absolutely incredible. The, the very level, the, the design, like, I don't understand how you even set out to design something like this. Like the, the, the number of ways that you can affect the world, the number of things you can set off in, in, and the game will acknowledge that you have done, or, uh, you know, I love that it doesn't feel like, uh, Splinter Cell or Metal Gear Solid or something. It, it, it isn't this binary. They, they, do they see me or do they not see me? It's not, it's not just, uh, whoop, I've, I'm alerted and, uh, oh, now I've forgotten where you are. The, the, this seems like there's a much more sophisticated level of AI going on and people, uh, start asking questions or going to talk to other people. And like, I thought I saw something over there. That is weird. I'm going to go ask Larry, you know, whether he saw it too. It's, it's, so it does feel like this living, breathing world and the level of detail, the, the amount of, of objects you can interact with and f- touch and find and see. And I mean, it's it's I have completely changed my tune on this franchise and uh, become a true believer in, in just with just that one level. And I hope there's lots more like it. I'm, I'm excited to play more of the game. There are, but you should temper your expectations a little bit because the difference is that level played that way which is not the only way to get out of that level um sure. it, it has a very clear narrative arc that connects it right and uh, once you get that first bink of like oh i'm this guy now i'm this inspector here's the things i need to do it's all laid out for you um it's like yeah you got to find this room and you got to find this person to talk to or whatever but it's all you got to talk to these five people you got to investigate these five rooms you know bada bing bada boom we're done the other levels aren't like that necessarily where it's like okay i got to do this thing okay now what oh what did that guard say over there okay now i got to go do this thing it's not all one Mm. laid out murder mystery per se but i misspoke yeah the third level is berlin and it had it's that nightclub like the abandoned warehouse nightclub scene and it's like got the pulsing lights and the music going and uh you can be the dj if you want and that's super great it's just these six maps are, are some of the franchise's best, in my opinion. And to know that they're all bundled together in one game. Uh, and the last level is, is truly phenomenal. I, I don't want to spoil it. It's just, I'm not going to spoil it. But it, it's just a wonderful experience to have at the end of a, of a trilogy, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I can't say enough enough good things about it. My my only nit for this game, I think, would be that when you're hanging, I think Agent 47's arms look a little weird. That's all. Yeah, and the way he sh- he's shimmies on a, on a thing looks kind of goofy. That's yeah. the first one, though. You know, I think Agent 47 as a character is super goofy. Oh, I mean, he's he's a yes. That's what he's I was a monster mannequin come to life. That's that's 
And and by come to life, I mean barely come to life. <laughs> He's That's very what I love about this franchise, though, is that it is, I, I think, in this most recent trilogy, and all of them, really, but it is a game that both, I think, walks that line of self-seriousness and, like, you're a hitman. You've been betrayed. You got to go take out these people. And there are story missions that you can do that do It's like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to take this and I'm going to use this and snap your neck and throw you over the river. And I'm going to shoot this person from afar. And I'm going to get the sniper from this. And you're just like, yeah, you're awesome. And then it's also like, by the way, there's a chicken suit and a banana over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like the the gravitas of both of those feel important and like cool and fun and it's like aware of it and like every time you put on a hat like his barcode's visible. You know, it's like yeah. Yeah. so silly but self-aware but also very serious and you know, it it's it's so great. It's absolutely phenomenal. I love it. Yeah. I I am uh you know, I was composing in my head all the things I was going to say to you as I was playing the first level. And being like, I just don't, you know, these, these games just don't work for me. I just don't, there's, I don't know. I haven't found the joy in it. I don't understand what the fun here is. And then I got to the second level. And I was like, oh my God, maybe I love these games. And I just didn't know it. <laughs> maybe I just didn't know it. The second level in particular does have me very excited for Bond. Like this team making Bond. I'm so excited. Dude, it's the same team that's going to make a Bond game. Yeah. Talk about like... Everything that's wrong with Agent 47 as a character, you get corrected because you have James Bond now. You know, you have you have a character that has a uh, personality, you know, uh, it's, it's I, I will say uh, the there are multiple ways you can do it, but the alternate ending is brilliant. Absolutely. Like. Uh, yeah, I don't even want to say what I was going to compare it to. It's absolutely brilliant. Play it multiple ways at the end. The alternate ending is phenomenal. Yeah, the storytelling is 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 pretty great. I mean, just stylistically, the the cutscenes are really kind of coolly laid out. I mean, it does feel like a born movie or you know, very high quality Hollywood production. Um, and and the interior of of those levels, like the, uh, I, I'm so impressed by the characterization and the 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 voice acting is so high quality and everything, nothing is beat, beating you over the head with information. It all feels really subtle. Like you have to make inferences, you have to make connections. It, it trusts the player to be a little bit more intelligent, maybe than some games do. And I, I like that. You know, I like when games do that. It doesn't all spell out for me. Anyway, biggest surprise of this new year for me, Hitman three. I did not think I was going to love that game. All right, uh, let's thank our second sponsor, which is Ritual. Oh, Ritual. Um, my wife just ordered me my uh, my Ritual. that She's been enjoying Ritual for many months now. And she's like, we got to get you on a multivitamin. And we got to get you on the right multivitamin, a multivitamin that we know what's inside of it. it it's got uh, uh, sh- no sugars and GMOs and synthetic fillers and artificial colorants. Not to mention animal byproducts. We don't need any of that stuff. Ritual is not the typical multivitamin. It doesn't have that stuff. It's clean, vegan-friendly. It's made with key nutrients in forms that your body can actually use without all the extras, without all the, the, the stuff that's in a lot of multivitamins that you don't really want to be putting in your body. That's the whole idea behind Ritual is the woman who invented the company, who founded the company, said, hey, you know, I check labels on food. 
I want to make sure what's going in my body when I read food labels. Why wouldn't I do that for a multivitamin? So she created Ritual, which is made to be traceable, made to be completely transparent. So you always know where your nutrients are coming from. Uh, They have the, uh, it's one of a kind, they're visible supply chain that lets you know where it's actually coming from, what's in it. It's now available for women, men, and teens, three different versions. Um, My wife has been using the women, she's been subscribed to the women ritual for uh, quite some time now. And now they're doing the men version. So she signed me up as well because she likes it so much. Uh, These are scientifically developed to help support different stages of life. And uh, it makes your habit easy because it is a subscription. So um, they're delivered to your door every month with free shipping always. And you can start, snooze, or cancel your subscription at any time. So if you don't love Ritual within your first month, they'll refund your first order. That's how much they believe in their product. You deserve to know what's in your multivitamin. That's why Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off during their first three months. Visit ritual.com slash DLC to start your ritual today. Again, that's R-I-T-U-A-L dot com slash DLC for 10% off your first three months of ritual. Uh, okay, guys. Uh, I mean, we've, we've been, we've been going, uh, a while. I have a couple of other things I've been playing, but maybe I'll save those for next week. Um, it's been so much fun having you on Rob and I'm so pleased, uh, to get your, your take on things. I'm, I'm wondering, I just, as a sort of a parting question for you, because we, we so rarely get to talk to folks that are, you know, creating audio for video games. When you play stuff, when you're playing other things, are you listening to the game in a different way than I would or Christian might? Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of the curse of being an audio person in general. Like if you work on films, you're, unless it's really, really good and it transcends kind of what's being shown and it just works perfectly, uh, things that wouldn't stick out to a normal player or a normal audience member if it's a movie still stick out and i it's it's really difficult to turn off um it's but it's not just even consuming media it's like my wife will tell you like even going out in the world i will hear things and comment on things that no one else is like it's become background noise and they just ignore it i'm like oh no there's school buzz or school thing happening or um yeah yeah because you need to be aware of those layers to build them into worlds that aren't real right Right. words you know build them or or come back and and record them or uh pull the pocket recorder out of my pocket i always have recorder on me and record them Um, wow really wow yeah like so it's it it can it can sometimes ruin things but um there are there are always like kind of exemplar sort of games and films that uh absolutely just pull you in and, and you can forget about that like sort of analytical brain um, but it's difficult. It's definitely one of those things where um, it's it's more often not the things that are there, but the things that are missing uh, that that stick out the most. Because um, it's one thing that we've we've really tried to do at Naughty Dog during my tenure there. I've been here for almost ten years now. Um, is detail on a ridiculous level where everything has sound, even the stuff that does become background noise that people ignore. Like if it's, if it's a hole, it's still a hole and it will call attention to itself. If it's there to fill in the noise, then it's doing its job of just sounding right or just sounding natural. Um, that's, 
that's actually really difficult to do because there's so many moving parts in modern games and and trying to cover it all is extremely challenging. So if you play a game that you are impressed by the audio design of, is it because it's doing that that kind of thing? It has so many layers and it feels like such a full expression of all the different details in an environment? There can be two things like there can be moments in games that are impressive from like a creative level, like, oh, that was a really creative way to approach, you know, the given scenario. And then there, yeah, there can be the ones that just sort of like transcend where everything's sort of covered in a way that makes sense. And you're just you're just listening to the story or you're just experiencing the gameplay and it feels right. Like, I think that's one thing like that Hades does really well is like it knows what it is. It covers the things that it needs to cover and it just feels right for that style of game. Um, yeah. It's obviously very different than the games we make in Oidog, but like um, Darren Corb and, and the crew that work on um, Hades and, and all of Supergiant's games are like extremely talented at nailing the tone and the right vibe for their games that they make. Um, I think play dead is also another studio, smaller studio that does like audio in a way that, is so perfect for the for the context that it is really easy to just turn that part of my brain off. Um, yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. I love I love getting that insight, um, and it's been awesome having you on the show, Rob Crackle. Thank you so much for being here, man. Oh, it was a blast. I'm I'm so happy to be on. Hopefully, we can do it again sooner than like than six years of the interim yeah 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 uh we'll definitely make that happen uh in the meantime though where can folks follow you and the things that you make online uh you can hit me up on twitter it's uh, at rob crackle really easy to get a hold of um i i respond to most folks you know obviously be conscious of what you're putting out into the world uh on there and uh and be courteous and kind um, but I'm I'm happy to talk to people about games or audio or whatever the heck you want to talk about. Uh, if you want to message me, I'm there. Very cool. Christian Spicer, what do you got going on this week? Uh, my girls are still selling Girl Scout cookies. You'll find the link and information in the subreddit for this post, this episode show discussion. If you would like to order from them, if you are far away or don't know where I live get chipped um how did, how did we do did we blow you up did we uh do we do we win the uh grand national prize what do we do how do we do last week right. one our listeners are incredible and they were great and thank you to everybody that's ordered two it is not a competition this is about the girls setting personal- did we win did, did we win for, uh, for no, your girls girl setting personal goals there's a car yeah, i'm pretty sure there's a car that no girls setting personal they worked really hard on their videos that they're able to share because COVID has changed the rules on what girl scouts allows they were out flyering today because you can't actually do that door-to-door interaction that's such a, a big part of traditional cookie sales or booth sales and um they have not their goals are fairly modest i'll be honest um it's a weird year but they're they're proud of their videos and they wanted me to mention it on this show so you can go to the subreddit and um and buy cookies from them if you get want those to. girls a car. Come on, let's do it, folks. Buy some Not, cookies. Get those really, girls a car. Maybe I need to make a cookie video that explains what it's about that you can watch in your Tesla to make this click for you. Or better yet, I'll wrap it around a murder mystery and then you'll get it. You'll be like, oh, that's all I need to get it is like make it like a movie that I loved. And they're working toward doing this to give back to this animal shelter and to give back to this homeless shelter. And that's what they're working toward. But until you can watch it in your Tesla or have it be a murder mystery, I don't think you'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> and my mic's not good enough. I don't think Rob's heard anything I've said. So um, he's just like, 
my ears, my ears. Um, no, just don't bring the spice man. On. I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a stipulation. Like his ears are precious. That fight took six years. Um, and then I have my new newsletter, which you can subscribe to at uh, tinyletter.com slash Christian Spicer. The first two are up there as archived. Um, and the second one, uh, people seem to dig it. It was cool. I like the replies. It's about um, how games start and how I think games can be more memorable in the long run. So you can find that at tinyletter.com slash Christian Spicer. Very cool. Uh, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Um, and you can send an email to the show, dlcfeedback at gmail.com is where you send those emails. We love getting feedback from you. Let us know what you think about the show. Maybe if there's a, a game that you'd like to review that we've overlooked or haven't looked at in the same way you'd like to look at it, you can send us your little short review there as well, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We may read it on the show. You can also hear me talk about movies and TV shows at the Slash Filmcast is a podcast I do. You can find that at slashfilmcast.com. Uh, if you want to hear me talk about science, help you learn something and laugh along the way, I do a science comedy show called We Have Concerns. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. I'm also uh, hosting a football show about the fan-controlled football league, which is basically Madden in real life. And there's owned by, the teams are owned by people like Marshawn Lynch and Mike Tyson and Richard Sherman and Quavo, the rapper, and the kind of funny guys own a team as well. Uh, I do the official stream uh, talking about the the uh, the league as it's ramping up. The games start the um, end of February, but you can hear us every Thursday at 2.30 p.m. at twitch.tv slash FCF. Um, also hoping to bring the Dungeon Run back. We're working on bringing the Dungeon Run back. We had our last episode on caffeine a uh, week or so ago, uh, but you can still find episodes of that by searching for The Dungeon Run on YouTube or as an audio podcast. I'm super proud of that show, and I think you'd like it. All right. Let's uh, wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Rob, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Yeah, I have this this little documentary on on uh, Netflix called The Speed Cubers. It's about uh, competitive Rubik's Cube solving, and it's 40 minutes long, and it is heartwarming and wonderful, and it exposes you to a really interesting community of people who who take doing Rubik's Cubes really seriously, but it's it specifically follows two kids or, or two uh, young men. Um, and their journey and their friendship and their competition. And it's really worth a watch. It will warm your heart. Um, I can't say enough good things about it. And it's short. It's 40 minutes. There's, if you got Netflix, nothing to lose. Check it out. I adored that. I, I loved it. And it is very moving and beautiful. And uh, yeah, I heartily, heartily uh, support that suggestion. Very great. Uh, Speed Cubers. Christian Spicer, what about you? you got a parting gift? Yeah, some music that you won't listen to, Jeff, so you can just, you know, tune out for the next 30 seconds. Um, (laughs) Beach Bunny, they have a new EP out called Blame Game, and it's phenomenal. And if you haven't, they also released uh, a full length um, in 2020 called Honeymoon. Uh, It's by Beach Bunny, and they are are absolutely fantastic. Both albums worth checking out. 
My parting gift is something that I, uh, you know, I, I recommend things on the sh- on the show every week during our parting gift segment. Uh, some I feel more passionately about than others, but all of them I I want to recommend heartily. This one is in another category. Um, I, if you've ever gotten a recommendation from me and trusted it, and it turned out to be good. Trust me on this one. On Hulu is a 90-minute movie called In and of Itself. Don't look it up. Don't read the description. Just go see it. Or just put it on, on Hulu. Watch it. Trust me. Trust me on this one. In and of Itself on Hulu. I've never recommended anything higher. Watch it in and of itself on Hulu. Uh, We also have a listener-suggested parting gift. This was sent to us by Andrew. Uh, He sent this to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. He says, hey, friends, a childhood favorite band of mine called Five Iron Frenzy released their first album in seven-ish years today, uh, available on Spotify. It's a ska punk album with a heavy current events and political influence. It hits right to the core. Uh, They are an interesting band originally gaining influence in the Christian music scene like MXPX, but greatly distancing themselves from it when it got co-opted for political gain by the right and was more focused on keeping people out than welcoming people in. They've all since gone on to different careers. Their lead singer, for instance, is a trauma nurse in Virginia. It's a solid album. Again, that's called Five Iron Frenzy and uh, was sent in by Andrew. If you'd like to have your recommendation on the show, uh, you can send it to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Christian Spicer and Rob Kreckle for hanging out with me. Thanks to our uh, our folks hanging out with us live in the chat, making the show better in real time. We appreciate you. Uh, thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those bumpers. And thanks to each and every one of you who listen each week. So grateful you download the show and spend some time with us. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.